Hello, and welcome back to the Previously On podcast. We're continuing with our second season by taking an in-depth look at Avatar The Last Airbender, and more specifically, the second book of that series, Earth. My name's Brandon Berger. I'm Evan Muse. And I'm Maxwell Anderson. And together, we're our own sort of Team Avatar. We're very excited to keep our conversations going as we navigate our way through the second book of this series. For our 17th episode of the podcast, we'll be taking a look at chapters 13 and 14 of book two. Previously on Avatar. Here's some more information about book two, chapter 13, The Drill. It's the 13th episode of the second season and is the 33rd official episode of the show. This episode was written by the series creators, Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konitzko, and was directed by Giancarlo Volpe. The Drill originally aired as the second part of a two-part special entitled The Secret of the Fire Nation on September 15th, 2006. Here's a short synopsis of Chapter 13. After discovering the Fire Nation's secret threat to break through the walls of Ba Sing Se, Aang must reunite with the rest of his team to stop them. Here's some more information about Book 2, Chapter 14, City of Walls and Secrets. It's the 14th episode of the second season and is the 34th official episode of the show. This episode was written by Tim Hedrick and was directed by Lauren McMullen. This episode was also nominated for an Emmy Award for Outstanding Animated Program that was less than an hour. City of Walls and Secrets originally aired on September 22, 2006. Here's a short synopsis of Chapter 14. <laughs> didn't even so start shorter, yet. Max. <laughs> didn't even start. Didn't even start. I was like, uh, 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 uh. oh man. I'll take it from the top. All right. Uh, I think it's the pressure. All right. Here's a short synopsis of chapter 14. Boomerang Squad finally arrives in Ba Sing Se to see the Earth King, only to find mysterious forces within the city conspiring to stop them. So. What were your thoughts on these two episodes? Max, I'm really glad that you um, ad-libbed that part of your short synopsis to include the Boomerang Squad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because was... I really I really think we're going to have to potentially replace Gang in our podcast vernacular um, because I think Sokka left us with some gems here right at the end. I figured we might as well introduce him since he does in this episode. <laughs> I I also just, the actual synopsis for those who are listening along with us is Aang and the kids. And I guess it's fine, <laughs> but I just was like, nah, nah. There's there's way better ways to describe that group than Aang and the kids. We're thank not you, watching ne- a kid's Thank you, show. Netflix, for that. Thank you for net- Netflix for that. <laughs> Where do we start with this episode? This is a This is a big one. It's kind of a... Well, I guess it's a big drill. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and big it, drill. It, the the problem is that the way that we set up the these past two podcast episodes, it does like cut right in between, so it is hard to pick up and still feel that same level of intensity. Because right, we try to watch these episodes independently of each other, and sometimes they just don't fall in the exact correct order. But yeah, I think right away from the get go, it's like. This drill has some really cool animation and is just quite impressive in scope and in style and in power and prowess. 
that it's like, oh yeah, you're snapped right back into those same feelings that you felt at the end of the Serpent's Pass when when Aang first discovers the drill. Because he originally had separated from uh, the Boomerang Squad to go and, and look for Appa on his own. Then he sees this threat and he realizes, nope, I can't. I got to go get my crew and then get us back into action here. Mm -hmm. And how sad that he has to keep putting off looking for Appa. Like, that's got to be just on his mind every five minutes, right? For sure. And that's something that you don't always realize. Like, that's that's been the goal the whole time is to get to Ba Sing Se so that he can find Appa. And it's just one more thing gets in his way and one more one more thing, one more time. You know, first it was the Serpent's Pass kind of uh, preventing them from taking the ferry over because they had their tickets. They had everything they needed to get. And then... You know, he he thinks he's finally there. He's finally free. And nope, this this one more thing is just in his way. And little does he know at the time, you know, uh, it's not just the drill. It's Azula, May, and Ty Lee. Mm -hmm. It seems like this is a good development in his character because we see at the very, very beginning, he runs away from his duty, right? He wants to do something for himself. He doesn't want to be the Avatar. And this is sort of a direct opposite of that. He is picking up his role as the avatar and putting what he wants, what he's personally attached to finding Appa kind of on the back burner. Right. He's growing up. Oh, mm -hmm. right before the kids. our very eyes. Oh. Yeah, Aang, <laughs> kids it's no not hanging the kids anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I feel like we get a lot of Azula, May and Tylee in this one, and we're sort of getting a better sense of their relationship. What do you guys think about that? I think that this is a, fascinating episode for those three i think again we just get to see so much more of may and ty lee especially and i just i love both of those characters especially mm -hmm. ty lee but okay i was also doing some like internet sleuthing you know how we do we like go down the rabbit hole and i believe i referred to this core uh the core three azula may and ty lee as the anti-gang in air quotes and I realized shortly after I said that the first time that that was pretty fucking stupid. <laughs> so why do you say I that? I stumbled, well, because I stumbled upon something better. So now I'm affirmed in that conviction that it was really a stupid nickname. <laughs> Apparently, they're called Ozai's Angels. Oh no! Oh my God. How awesome is that oh, by comparison? Geez. And and I want to know before we dive <laughs> oh. into their development. What do you think of that? Ozai's angels. Grew up a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, judging by the video um, chat that we're having, I don't think either of you are impressed. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to use that now. I feel like we have to. Yeah. We, I, I feel like a, a zoo crew or something like that would be... <laughs> <laughs> Zuzu's <Zuzu's> pedals. <laughs> hey, I like that. I like that a lot. But no... I, Evan, to get back to your thought, I think, again, you see these glimpses and these moments of kind of Azula trying to manipulate May and Ty Lee into getting them to do what she wants them to do. And a really funny moment that is a little bit more of a comedic moment is when May and Ty Lee are chasing Sokka and Katara um, through like the slurry pipe with the rock and the water mixed. Mm -hmm. Katara and Sokka have already jumped in. Ty Lee says, we need to jump in and go after him. And May's like... I'm not doing that. That's stupid. Like, why yeah. would I do that? So I think it, it, even though, again, even though it's a comedic moment, it tells us that May especially 
isn't always going to do what Azula wants her to do. Yep. Um, it, which, you know, in my, in my opinion, May's whole attitude with her whole participation in Zuzu's pedals, uh, Ozai's <laughs> angels, uh, Azula squad, whatever we call them is less about her following what Azula wants and more, she's just bored. Like she, mm -hmm. she's just tired of living kind of a boring life in Omashu, um, which again is where her family is. Her dad is the governor of Omashu. Um, and she's just like looking for some action, like fighting action. I, I think it's, it's more about that than about like world domination, which is what it is for Azula. Right. And I think her ability to do her own thing and not do just everything that Azula tells her to becomes a huge, like, part of especially how her and Tylee's relationship develops. Not too many spoilers, but I feel like when we get to the the Boiling Rock episodes, that's kind of a, especially a big there, contention yeah. point. Well, and there was something, too. In this, I think it was in the same article where I saw the Ozai's Angels thing. It talked about May's kind of emotional portrayal and... It talks about how May doesn't really ever let her emotional guard down, except with two characters. And it's really like Zuko and Ty Lee, where mm -hmm. she really can let her emotions shine through because her and her and Zuko become a couple. And of Azula and Ty Lee, Ty Lee is much more of, of May's true friend. Right. Because May gets it. May understands, I think, Azula's motivations. Um, and again, isn't isn't involved with this again, for that like world domination, heir apparent type of a, a mentality. She's just bored and is kind of just doing this thing to do it, I think. I think that motivation that Azula uses, we, we you know, learn again and again is that fear piece. Mm -hmm. But it, it works for Ty Lee, and we see that's how she originally motivated Ty Lee to do it. And everything Ty Lee says, we got to do it. Azula's going to be mad at us. Exactly. It does not work on May. Like the... Mm -hmm how may joined the group was literally like yeah i want to get out of here like that sounds mm -hmm. yeah, good yeah yeah so <laughs> i'm super curious what would have happened or what has happened in the past with using like fear against may and may just being super nonchalant about it and i'm sort of thinking about that flashback where she was the guinea pig with the apple on her head getting mm -hmm. fire shot out at her and she was just okay with it she was just like yeah okay i don't know it's it's really interesting to see that well and i i wonder too and this is where you can kind of get into the psychology of adolescence, right? I wonder if moments like that just kind of continued to stack up with with May and Azula specifically, where May always thinks back to those moments and thinks to herself, well, Azula is just doing this to try to get something out of it. She doesn't really care about me. The only reason why she wanted to do the Apple thing was so that they could play the prank with Zuko to get him to go into the fountain, right? Mm -hmm. I think May realizes that and again because may likes ty lee and has a closer connection to ty lee and cares more deeply about ty lee she's just almost being complicit with what azula wants but right. not necessarily willing to engage past a certain point and I, we reached that point evan like you alluded to later in the series but you can see that being seated right now I wonder, too, if as a kid, she want the, wanted the fire to hit her, you know, just to feel something. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, that's very funny. Too dark? Uh, no, it's, it's May. It's not too dark. Yeah. It's May. <laughs>
I I had written down. I think I I probably saw this somewhere, but the little throne that Azula had set up for yeah. not only her but her two <laughs> friends next to her was actually kind of sweet. Like you you're recognizing your friends. Of course, they're lower than you. They're not right like, yeah. higher than you, but still, at least they're included. Absolutely. I feel like the the captain of this drill had a better sense of what Azula could do to her than the guy on the ship did. Sure. He seemed, his confidence to me seemed less in the drill and more in if he had any doubts, Azula would have killed him. Mm -hmm. But I feel like at this point, word has gotten around that the Fire Lord's daughter is on a, on a tear, right. you know, to basically, again, conquer the world, essentially. So everything that she wants or anything that she asks you to do better be done or... Your momoed, for lack of a better yep. better word, there. <laughs> I don't know if this is. I guess maybe this is better for the next episode, but this is truly our biggest threat, right? This is the drill is massive, and mm -hmm. they've been kind of upping the stakes in this season. So we get, you know, the the rough rhinos early on. Then we get the owl. You know, we get Wang Tong, which I can mm. never say. <laughs> so close. Like even bigger. And then we get the sea serpent even bigger. And yeah. now we have this drill and it's like, okay. And then it's a hard shift to political climate, Oof, like God. maneuvering through secrets. It's, it's a huge shift. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to get to the biggest threat we have and then to go where we're just kind of manipulating people. Yeah. I think, Unless you're going to drop, like, Galactus World Eater in there. Right. It's a smart <laughs> move to do. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah, because at some point, the physical threats, you know, they almost run out. Or they can't necessarily have these gargantuan size physical threats time after time after time. You have to introduce something new. And I think as, as, as the Avatar, Aang is going to have to manage not only... The physical threats of the world, but also the uh, like socioeconomical uh, threats or, or, or imbalances, the political imbalances. You know, it's not always about more often than not. It is about like who has the most physically dominating presence. But a lot of it is is some of this political maneuvering. Right. And and again, it, it seems like the Earth Kingdom is always in this position, right, where. You have Bossing Say and you have the Earth King, but then everywhere else you've kind of got all these other different groups who operate under the Earth Kingdom or within the Earth Kingdom. So technically they're under the Earth King's rule, but in a city like Omashu, you have a separate king and you've always got these different villages and different kind of independent societies. It's just such a weird, weird thing. But because, yeah, it is the largest nation and most diverse nation, of course you're going to have those things that happen. So... Um, to introduce them in this way feels a little abrupt to me right away, but yeah, it, you almost have to do it like that. Mm -hmm. I noticed with the drill and the slurry, it seems like we're sticking with our contract that someone needs to get slimed every episode, every season. <laughs> <laughs> we had the stink bomb season one. Okay. Yep. I was thinking, I was like, I, I checked your notes too. And I was like, I can't remember the season one sliming, but yes, it was the stink bombs. Um, in the Air Temple episode. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Nickelodeon demands it. <laughs> okay, but and then this takes it to another level because the slurry is definitely sort of like a metaphor. They make it look like sewage too. It's yeah, it's kind of nasty it's looking. <laughs> and then 
And then I didn't really realize this until I was looking at kind of the diagram of the drill. And then it kind of clicked. It was like, where is the exit for the slurry? It's like right at the rear, kind of lower. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's poo. It's essentially poo. Okay. Uh, You're all, I'm, I'm an adult. It's poop, Max. It. It's poop. Well, with a giant drill, they could have made a worse image than poop for it. So, oh my gosh! <laughs> oh boy, pick your poison. Oh man, that is that's good. I like that. This thing's ready to burst. All right, oh. we can take that. Out. <laughs> well, no, it really it, it does it bursts it bursts from both hands. If we're being honest about it, so how do you guys? What was your take? I know, like this one played up. Sock is the idea guy. And then they all kind of come together on this idea to take it down. What was your take on their plan? I agree with you and your notes. It definitely would have taken too long. I feel mm-hmm. like that first, the first pillar that they cut the completely through, you know, is probably a fairly accurate representation of how long it would have taken. But this drill is massive and you have to cut so many of those or weaken them like they ultimately choose to do. There's no way that they would have actually no. been able to do that, like at all. I think the more ingenious part of the plan was the accidental part of the plan when Sokka and Katara escape. And then as, as almost a defense against Tai Lee, Katara bends the water of the slurry back up into the drill to kind of add that pressure there. I think they stumbled upon that, right? It wasn't something in their original plan. But that alone, I think, made the biggest amount of difference. And then when you get Toph in there who can bend the earth back, you know, two benders charging their energy at one thing, I think that was the more ingenious part of the plan, which, again, kind of buys into this notion of a lot of the plans that that the Boomerang Squad comes up with are, are more accidental plans, right? Even though they had this plan to slice up those pillars the thing that made the most difference was the accidental portion of their plan, not necessarily the thing that they thought to do. So yeah, I, it's a little outlandish, but again, in a show with, with magic and bending and elements, they can have some outlandish moments. I do agree though with you, Max, that the timing from your notes was just a little too odd for me. Uh, yeah. I, so I play not to reveal too much of my hand, but of me being a giant nerd, but I play <laughs> D&D uh, with Evan and it really reminded me of like the party trying to solve a puzzle and continually rolling like one on their intelligence yes. text. Like, yep. <laughs> let's cut through these giant beams. It's like you can bend air and water and this thing is a steam engine. Like right. you could blow <laughs> this up so easily. Yep. <laughs> Instead, they're going for giant metal pillars <laughs> and they would like they're like, oh, it doesn't work. OK, roll for a new plan. Oh, it's cut halfway through. It's like, oh, you rolled another one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And at some point, the DM is just like, we have to move on. I have so much else planned tonight. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like they had a Uh, metaphor that they wanted to get across, but the logistics of how they actually made the drill didn't really mesh with that. All that being said, it does lead to such an epic fight on the top of the drill. I do like that a lot. Yeah, when Aang runs all the way up the wall and then flips around to dive oh. onto that spike. So cool. So choice. Yeah. There there are lots of moments there that kind of set up things that happen later, right? Like, and even earlier, Toph doesn't join 
the boomerang squad in the drill because she can't bend in there. So this is mm. another moment similar to the desert and even the library episode when Toph wasn't with our gang right away because she couldn't bend, right? Or she couldn't see properly because of the, the lack of solid earth uh, for her to feel. So it kind of takes her out of this. Same thing when Aang is cutting the, uh, the X in the top of the drill. He just kind of, as an aside, says, man, what I wouldn't give to be a metal bender right now, mm -hmm. which is something that doesn't even exist <laughs> yet. Um, so, it's, again, uh, th things like that are really, really cool. A couple of things, too, that I noticed specifically with the fight, as far as the visual is concerned. Um, when um, Azula blasts Aang into the wall and kind of knocks him out just very briefly... That gets called back, and you guys should watch this if you haven't. Um, it comes back in Sozin's Comet when um, Aang and Ozai are fighting, and it happens mm. in almost the exact same way, where Aang gets hit back up against the wall, kind of gets knocked out, and then when he comes to, Azula and Ozai both throw the fire in the same direction, and <laughs> Aang blocks it in the same exact way. Um, obviously in Sozin's Comet, it happens as a different deflection, whereas this one, he uses an earth fist thing that he, he creates. But I was just, I saw that and I'm like, no way. I went back and watched it again and absolutely it is the same. So it's again, really cool that those two, Ozai and Azula even fight in the same way. Just it's, it's, I think it's insane. That's, That's awesome. I was so, so, so blown away. Um, with this fight. It's one of my favorites in the series. Um, and it, because we, we've we seen Aang have so much growth, like he can kind of hold his own here a little bit more. Yes, he's a little clumsy with his earthbending, but, you know, he's starting to really be able to hold, hold his own against some truly formidable foes. And he's actually earthbending. How many times did he airbend instead of waterbending, even in book one? And now right. he's learned something and he's using it. Oh, right. it's satisfying. And, and actually, okay, I do have a question about that because it looks like when they first start the fight, it looks like Aang is using airbending to redirect the boulder. And, and this is where I kind of get into the question and the thought like I had posed earlier about like the visualization of airbending and showing the air currents moving being something used, and I think we talked about this, being something used exclusively so we as an audience can like see the the airbending. It's not something that the characters in the universe can see. Mm -hmm. But when this battle between Aang and Azula first starts, the first boulder drops, and when Aang starts to move it, it looks like a blue circle forms underneath it to move it. So to me, it looks like airbending, but I wonder if it's actually supposed to be earthbending and we're just seeing seeing it visualized differently. Mm -hmm. The same thing also happens when the boulder drops that Aang then splits to get his spike created. When he first moves the boulder, it looks like, again, that blue circle shows up, but his stance is much more Earthbender-esque and his physical movements are much more Earthbender. I just got a little confused there, and I don't know if either of you noticed that and had thoughts on it, but I, I was just confused. Because, yes, Evan, I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt and say... Dang, he's finally like taking what he has finally learned and is using it more consistently. 
but I just wasn't sure yet if he was still at that point where he doesn't feel 100% confident in his earthbending, so still kind of uses some of that airbending, because mm-hmm. he is a more proficient waterbender than an earthbender, at least at this point. So I don't know. Did either of you catch that or, or have any thoughts on that? I did. I noticed that with his stance, too, it felt very earthbendery. I'd have to go back and watch when they're first falling. It makes sense to me that as an instinctual response, he might be doing some more airbending to move it out of the way. I I think regardless, you see him really utilizing each element, kind of coming into his own that he's he's trying each element. You see him doing the water whips as he's whipping away Azula's. That's one of my favorites. Mm. It's uh, so precise, and it because she's trying to be so precise, and he's just (laughs) slapping her away. Um. And then we see his airbending. And then we see just a couple just boulder flings and that sort of thing. Um, and, I mean, kudos to Azula for she, I mean, she's probably never fought anything like this. Uh, and she she learns, right? She's like, oh, he is just being defensive and kind of avoidant. If I just power through it, he's not going to be able to withhold it. Yeah. And that's what she does. She's After a while, she's just like, nope, screw this, and just plows through him. How sweet is that flip thing that she does <laughs> Oof, where she so jumps, cool. does the spins, and then kicks the fire? Boom. Oh, so cool. It ha- You know, it happens so fast, but if you break it down, the animators have to be sort of in the character's brains, right? Okay, Aang does this attack. How would Azula respond? Azula responds with this. How would Aang respond? And it's so cool to sort of break it down and talk about it more critically to look at that because so much of that just goes, you know, you're just enjoying the fight. Mm-hmm. yeah the the choreography is in character that's definitely mm-hmm. one of the strengths of it it's not just a good fight it's a good fight that ang would logically do and azula would logically do absolutely it's representative of the characters at least where they're at at this point in time because again it evolves like they continue to get better or more unhinged whatever it may be and you have to express you have to express the genuine nature of the character in their choreography. Yeah, Evan, that that's the best word to use for it because it is. It's like a dance, right? Mm-hmm. How did the two of you feel about the ending of the drill? And by the ending of the drill, I mean not the way that uh, the boomerang squad was able to take down the drill. I think conceptually, like what were your thoughts on... Ozai's Angel's plan, it getting foiled, and then the viability of that plan. I feel like you're going somewhere with this. Why don't you just tell us what you think? Well, I guess because I'm not entirely convinced that by drilling through the outer wall <laughs> of Ba Sing Se, they would have been able to conquer the city. Right. What had happened if they had succeeded? Uh, I don't... <laughs> yes, th- that's exact, That's that's what I'm asking. I don't think that they even know the true scope of what lies within the wall mm-hmm. because then there's another wall and then there's another wall and then there's just a ton of people, right? And by trying to almost bombastically break through the wall to then go and conquer it, like I just don't, you know, like like you had referenced earlier, rolling a one on your intelligence. <laughs> I think conceptually, it is a decent idea. Yes, this is the thing that will get us through the wall. And once we get through the wall, we will have an easier time taking care of the city and conquering it. But I don't think they realize just how big Bossing Say is. 
for sure. No, you're right. And they, they've had this, they've done this before, right? The Dragon of the West literally broke down the wall and it didn't really change anything, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, no, that's a good point. But what else are they supposed to do? They have this, right. this cool drill. They got to use <laughs> yeah. it for something. <laughs> because it's good for the plot. <laughs> exactly. I, I was always curious why they wouldn't just use that portion of the wall that Iroh broke down again. I, I assumed it had been rebuilt by now. In the third season, don't they go through that? Or am I mistaken? Like when they track no, down. I think they go up to the drill hole again, right? I don't know. I'm not sure. And that's the thing, too, that that confuses me, because in theory, you could just earthbend the wall back. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Afterwards, <laughs> right? You, you know? make this hole to let people through. As soon as the drill's through, yeah, you'd have to have like a whole army in the drill, like to Trojan horse it. Otherwise, yeah. they just Ex- close it. Exactly. Which maybe huh. it does, and maybe their plan is to just keep going through to the center. But we don't see a whole lot of soldiers on it. I mean, it's a big drill, so maybe we missed it. But, right. man, it's it's horribly defended if there's a bunch of soldiers on it and they were able to just hop around and <laughs> yeah. destroy some pillars. Right. Well, and, the, and they have those, like, they have the tanks outside, right, mm-hmm. as well. So maybe that, I, I don't know. I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Good point. Also, Good point. they they have airship technology. They could just go over it at this point. <laughs> yeah, they're invest in sh- airships. <laughs> By that point, you're right. They would have had that tech. Not so. I'm sure it's still being developed. But like, just wait on the drill. Holy cow! Yeah, seriously. I mean, or do a like a simultaneous. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Yep. Well, Fire Nation. I mean, it took them a hundred years, so they're not in too big of a rush there's a reason why the war has gone on this long and it's because they keep rolling ones on intelligence <laughs> yeah it just takes one person to roll a 20 on deception and the whole city goes <laughs> well uh. that's that's the truth speaking of rolling a 20 on deception shall we move into city of walls and secrets <laughs> yeah nice <laughs> i just want to say this episode title sounds like a Super Mario 64 star. Like you have to shoot Mario at the cannon and you get transported to this place with all the hidden numbers. Uh, absolutely. I, well, and I feel, I think we're all probably playing or have played Super Mario 3D All-Stars on Switch. Yep. And I actually am stuck on a star in Little Big World or whatever, Tiny Giant Land. Oh, and it's my God. The, it's the secrets one because I think every time the star finally spawns, I like fall off the, the I, island or whatever. I but fell yeah, 50 times dude, in that it's, one. It's you're exactly right, though. City of Walls and Secrets. Wow. That was simultaneous. <laughs> Holy cow. Let's oh, go. <laughs> and that. <clears throat> and that's gonna do it for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, can't top that. <laughs> well, no, and again, I mean, speaking of the scope of of bossing, say, this is also our first look. This episode, City of Walls and Secret is Secrets is because we see the Boomerang Squad traveling now um, through the monorail, and we see again that first. The first time they they get through kind of the inner wall, because the outer wall again is a lot of like that agriculture, a lot of that stuff. There isn't a there aren't a ton of people living there, but then they get into the the city proper, like the populace the populous part of the city, 
And it is just insane. And then you've got that like sweeping musical theme and it's mm-hmm. kind of all supposed to be very grand and, and expansive. And one of the things that happens right away that, that I'm kind of put off by is when Ang then blows his Appa whistle. And I think about, you know, I think like, okay, if Appa is captured and probably bound and he hears this whistle, he's going to totally start freaking out. It's like when I access the security camera in my house and then I start talking to my dogs and they <laughs> freak out because they hear my voice, but they don't see where I'm at. And then they right. basically terrorize my living room. That's what I feel like is happening here. Like, wouldn't that legitimately just stress the hell out of Appa? And and why, why doesn't Aang think of that? Like, right. he can obviously sense him. He even says something like, He's here. I can feel it. Mm -hmm. Why don't you just take that and run with it and like go with it? Not, you know, just don't blow the whistle to blow the whistle. You're going to freak out your, your, (laughs) your guy here. Right. Does it show that in Appa's Lost Days? I think he does flip out when he hears the whistle. I think we do see the other side of that. And he kind of, I almost think it happens when it happens when they're still on the desert. I think. Oh, yeah. I, th- mm-hmm. I think. And it may happen again when, when he's in Bossing Say. Mm-hmm. It does, but it's not Aang blowing the whistle. Yeah, 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 oh. yeah, 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 yeah. Momo. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I can see what you mean. I, It's like a toss-up between him being just so desperate and then... Totally. I thought it framed it really nice. You know, they finally get there, blows mm-hmm. the whistle to remind us what they're there for, mm-hmm. and then... Exactly. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a great yeah. point, actually. It's not to stop no freaking drill, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Even before they get there, they have this nice dialogue that I've always kind of glossed over. I guess through my rewatches and rewatches, sometimes I ignore some of it. But Sokka's... Hey, don't jinx it. We could still be attacked by some giant exploding Fire Nation spoon. Or find out the city's been submerged in an ocean full of killer shrimp. You been hitting the cactus juice again? I'm just saying, weird stuff happens to us. And in context, it sort of makes sense. They've been facing crazy stuff until this point. Yeah. And so he's like, don't don't put this into reality because the universe <laughs> loves to put me up against some weird and, stuff. And I think my favorite part of that dialogue exchange is Toph's reaction. <laughs> Because she goes, mm-hmm. are you hitting the cactus juice again? Right. Like it's a street drug now. Like everybody knows what it is. I yeah. like that. I got a kick out of that. I really like Toph's, her feelings around bossing say as being a larger scale version of the problems that she had within her family mm. of like high society stuff, lots of rules, protection, sort of getting in the way of liberty for them. I got the sense that she had maybe visited a few times before. And had like not been a fan. I agree with you because she does seem to have like this this backlog of knowledge, at least unbossing say specifically. I wonder though if that is actually the case. Just be just because her family had kind of kept her in secret from oh, everybody. Yeah. You're so right. you think like the long uh, not the long fangs, that's the Dai Li guy. Um <laughs> what is it? The Beifongs. The Beifong family, thank you. The Beifongs would obviously get invited to some of these highly exclusive um, royal events, right? Super wealthy family, blah, blah, blah. And you, I mean, I, I wonder if they would have brought Toph, mm-hmm. you know, because they didn't want people to know that Toph even existed. Right. And yeah, Evan, that's a great point to bring up. I think Toph views Bossing Say 
as the same type of confinement as her upbringing, right? Where she just feels trapped mm-hmm. and like she has no control, I think is the biggest thing with Toph. Right. Toph has to have control. Otherwise she, you know, loses it a little bit. I think since we're talking about this and her views of the city and control and all that stuff, I just think this is an iconic episode. I mean, it has seeped its way into pop culture, basically, where if you're talking about censorship or something like that, there's not one Reddit post that won't have somebody saying there is no war in Bossing Say. Exactly. It has made such a I mean, I think that really shows that it has captured this phenomenon really well and portrayed it in a way that is very digestible (laughs) absolutely yeah the the brainwashing the stratified society the censorship it's it's got it all and you're right it's distilled it so perfectly where like you get it as a kid and you get it more as an adult and you're like oh my god there is no war in bossing saying i did see and i think i shared this with you guys earlier I think it was probably, we were still on season one of the podcast. I think I sent you both the picture of Judy that said, there is no COVID-19 in right. Bossing Zay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and it, yeah, it is just funny. It is just so funny. Or even the, the thing of like, you tell yourself something enough times and then you'll finally believe it. Mm-hmm. Or like cherry picking your own facts and misinformation and all that stuff. Or just perception, right? Perception and deception, right? Not even... Not even revealing the whole whole nature of a truth. Yeah, all of it is covered here. And and like we've talked about earlier in this episode, just that stark contrast between real legitimate physical danger and now real and legitimate kind of almost psychological mm-hmm. and political danger. It's it's this mm-hmm. totally different side that nobody in in the gang has has had to uh, has had to deal with yet, really. Mm-hmm. Or at least on this scale, you know, there have been moments, but not on this scale. And I just want to take a second to admire the score because it captures that feeling so well. That psychological dread and creepiness is amazing because up until this point, we've had some of that, but it's usually these big moments, right? Mm -hmm, Big mm -hmm. epic kind of battles and that sort of thing. And this is (laughs) that creeping, watch your back, something is wrong. You know something is wrong, but you can't do anything about it. And it just is really good. Really good. Really good. That's good. That's good. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. (laughs) So I have a little voice actor uh, quiz for you guys. Mm. So Clancy Brown voices Long Fang. He was... Tarlock's father in Legend of Korra. Um, and he also voiced one other well known Nickelodeon character. Do you guys know who it is? Oh boy. Oh um, can you can you give us a hint? Plankton? No. Uh Max is close. I'll, that's your hint. Wait, is it okay? So it's from SpongeBob. Oh wow. So it's the same. It's Yakone and Longfang. Is it, is it Patrick? <laughs> no. Wait, Clancy Brown. Um, can you imagine? Patrick's it's not voice? Mr. Krabs, is it? <laughs> it's Mr. Krabs. It is. Whoa, dude, yeah. that's okay. crazy. Okay, then you're trying to Did steal you... me, Patty Formula. <laughs> Did you also know that? Okay, then same actor or same voice actor is also the like the the 
like the magma villain in Thor Ragnarok. Do you know it's the same guy? Oh my god, really? 100%. Holy crap! Whoa. Oh, that's awesome. And there, are, there are a couple more because I think he's done a couple of video game, like very oh, well known yeah. video game characters as well. Oh, I that's insane! Isn't insane. that wild? Once you once you notice it, you'll start to hear Mr. Krabs's voice in Longfellow no. a little bit. It's very I'm so fun. excited. Well, and <laughs> so I excited. I almost noticed Mr. Krabs in the magma villain from Thor Ragnarok more than I notice him in Long Fang because yeah. Long Fang's style, speaking style, is much cleaner, mm. less like if we were to get technical, there's less back pressure beneath his vocal folds as Ooh. he's pressing the air out and it's less muscular. <laughs> less things like that. Whereas even in like Yakone from Legend of Korra has a little bit more of that pressure, that push. Mm -hmm. The gravelly. And so I can hear it more there. I had no idea that it was Long Fang or the yeah. same same guy. Isn't that, that wild? Is insane. That's awesome. That's wow. awesome. Wow. Oh, I love that. I'm such a such a nerd with voices too. Like oh, I, 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 love, I love all of it. It's insane. <laughs> and then you think about this too. I don't know how long SpongeBob's been a thing, like since the late 90s, I think. But the fact that okay, so that's that's over 20 years <laughs> yeah. of SpongeBob, right? <laughs> and it's the same like it's the same people, you yep. know? It's 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 so crazy. Yeah. So crazy. I think Tom Kenny even talks about how doing SpongeBob is a throat bummer because yeah. he's got to ah. be up so high and for yep. so long. Yeah, that's why we only make Evan do voices like once every other podcast episode. Right. So that he can, uh, <laughs> and we warn him Rest. before time so he can practice, so he can, you know, have his tea and his honey and everything ready to go. Got to get all warmed up. I can maybe do a Mr. Krabs. Ooh, okay. okay. And can now, you do can you do it as Long Fang though, like about bossing say secrets yeah, or something? Like I think that? so. Okay. And now performing Long Fang as Mr. Krabs, Evan Muse. You're you're looking for your bison there, are you, laddie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh amazing. Amazing. Clancy Brown, Schmancy Brown, Evan Muse is the next big thing. Move over. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. I think that's what's, like, obviously his vocal manipulation for Mr. Krabs is great, but when he's just, like, delivering long fang lines, Oof. dude's a great actor. Yes. And that's what I'm, and that's what I mean. That's why it was, I didn't, it, it didn't come to me right away right. because it is such a different character like it's a different mindset you know i will say they're both fairly ruthless right mm -hmm. mr krabs <laughs> being a, a fairly ruthless businessman uh long fang being a fairly ruthless puppeteer uh and puppet master and politically savvy but it oh man just yeah it's insane it's crazy And we get a little bit of Iroh in the tea shop in this one too, which is great. I feel like this is this is the point in the show where Iroh begins to live his best life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like all Iroh has wanted since he retired from the Fire Nation army was to own a tea shop and like work in a tea shop. And this is where we see that start. Mm -hmm. One thing that I noticed, and this is like a tiny bit of a continuity error. When they first start their jobs, he's tying his apron, and it's obviously a little bit too small because, you know, Iroh is tick, as the kids say. <laughs> I still don't know about that one. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I think that's wrong. <laughs> oh, whatever. He's uh, a little large. 
and the the tea shop owner says, "I have some extra string in the back," and then um, ha- or have some tea while you wait, and then Iro takes a sip of the tea is like appalled at the quality like mm-hmm. this is awful goes to dump the the teapot out and he already has some extra string on the back of his robe oh and the guy never came back wow. the guy never came oh back to gosh. get it um which i i was like oh interesting you must have string bent that much like you fire bent <laughs> your tea earlier right. in the episode they cut the really sensual shop owner tying the rope behind Iro. Yeah, it's like, They're like nah, this doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like this doesn't really fit with the tone. <laughs> Ooh, I have some extra string in the back. Ooh, I mean, baby. he's quite the player in this one. We find out he that is. he's sort of the ladies' man. Again, he's tick, as the kids say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also like that he's starting... Well, I don't know. This is my interpretation. His advice is getting a lot more blunt with Zuko. It's like, stop whining and just look around. Right. Because it's, at one point, Zuko's like, I don't want to make a life here. And he says, life's going to happen wherever you are, like whether you yep. make it or not. And I, just, I love that. That's sort of just like a yeah. grow up. Like, just look around right. you. You're right. not... It's not that bad. And I think it's a testament to Mako, his voice actor... Where it still sounds very like cheery and uplifting, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're exactly right. When you distill it down, Ira's basically like, "Shut the up, kid, because we're we're here. Like, get over it. This is our mm-hmm. life now." And then they they rise up so quick, and they're they're just so it's so nice. And then <laughs> and then on the opposite spectrum, Jet just descends into to madness. Goes crazy. I don't know what Jet's thinking. You know, he says. They're firebenders and is so fixated on Iroh and Zuko. And again, rightfully so. But in the same breath, guaranteed they're not the only firebenders in Bossing Say. 100%. They, they, there's no way that they are. There are other Fire Nation refugees who are trying to escape from the clutches of the Fire Nation, right? There's no way. And the fact that Jet kind of, again, fixates on them and is pretty relentless in his pursuit of them kind of shows, again, that same flaw in Jet's character that we saw when we first were introduced to Jet in that he will stop at nothing to kind of get revenge against the Fire Nation because it doesn't matter who you are. Every every firebender he associates with the tragedy of his past and and it's i mean it, it's what does him in in this episode really mm-hmm. i know that they're master writers at this point and so it's probably not very and you know intelligent to point this out but it was like just a complete uh opposite of character development right iroh mm-hmm. and zuko accepting their sort of lot putting some of that past behind them and making life where they are and Jet completely unable to do that, right? right. Mm-hmm. Even with his friends begging him to do that, right? Let it go. Mm-hmm. Let's keep moving on. Let's do what we came here to do. He he can't. And so we see what happens, right? Yeah. We see what happens. Yeah. I wonder if more context would be interesting in this sense. Like if we saw more of what Jet had gone through growing up, watching him lose his family, and mm-hmm. maybe we hadn't seen Iroh and Zuko with their whole growing up, getting better kind of thing, we'd mm-hmm. probably be like, guys, Jet's right. What are you doing? Yeah, get him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, and I think that's something that they didn't explore in in Jet's first episode. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it would have been a very, very refreshing thing. And even if you tell it in in flashback sequences, 
you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be fully fledged, but just to show in a, in a sepia tone flashback sequence, the fire nation took my family with like the panorama, whatever, however they do it interspersed with these kind of relentless pursuits of Zuko and Iroh plus, uh, uh, smeller bee and long shot kind of urging jet to not do this. Because then when Jack kind of goes on that tangent right near the end when he says, don't you remember what the Fire Nation took away from us? Like, that would have mm. been a great moment to visually yeah, visually cover that moment. I do think it's really hilarious uh, uh, long shot as a character. Yeah, oh, it's great. Is a, <laughs> is a mute character, right? And th there's another moment where I think Jet is talking about asking Zuko to join the Freedom Fighters. And he goes, what do you think, long shot? And he just looks at him. I can respect that. Yeah. <laughs> so good. You know, yeah. What do you guys think happened to the other freedom fighters? What was the division or what happened where they broke up? It's a good question. I don't necessarily think it was anything malicious or like dangerous because I, if I remember correctly, they, some of them come back. But not with Snellerby or Longshot. They come back. Right. Right. I think, I think. I think Pipsqueak and the Duke do come back later um, in season three. So I, I think, I mean, maybe they legitimately just split paths and said, hey, we got to we gotta get out of here. Because they, you know, they flooded that village. So then the village people knew. Right. Mm. They knew that they were around, so they couldn't stay there anymore. So they had to leave again. Maybe Jet kept putting them into more and more dangerous situations, and Smeller B and Longshot were the only ones still putting up with it. Yeah, that, that also seems logical. Well, regardless, by the end of this episode, we, through Jet, get to see the full extent of Bossing Say secrets through literal mind control and hypnosis. Yeah, yeah. and I think, on the one hand, I'm glad that it's Jet. That is the character that is showing us this just because Jet is, of all of the characters, a more disposable character. He's mm -hmm. one that we don't care so much about. And we're not necessarily, he's not necessarily been framed to be a character we care about. We talked about this in in his first episode in right. Jet. So I'm kind of glad that he's the one who is showing us this under a really, really fabulous monologue of by Longfang. But on the other hand, it it did feel a little... A little like rushed to me like it felt like they just were building 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 and then the the payoff at the end or at least the big reveal at the end was not as satisfying as like a blue spirit reveal or as a ang discovering the drill reveal at the end of the serpent's pass or a reveal like that or even like we're back in omashu a, a reveal like that mm -hmm. in a in a season where it's been big reveal big cliffhanger after big cliffhanger this one was still good again, but not as good as everything else. So it's naturally just a little bit lower in my view. That's interesting. I, I feel like it's a big one for me. Sure. And I think what it especially, I like what you said that Jed is kind of a disposable one because now it feels like a big threat. Like who else might succumb to this? Sure. Like it That's makes me nervous. Yeah. Right. You take the character with the most conviction, right? He's somebody who his whole character is, I hate the Fire Nation, and you're going to make him forget there's a Fire Nation yeah. like attacking. That's pretty. Wow. Yeah. Brutal. Those are both excellent points. <laughs> <laughs> I have no I have no further comments.
there were a couple things too that happened with uh, with the Boomerang Squad that I think are worth noting, um, as they're again in the upper ring now in this in their kind of house, as they're prepping for their um, audience with the Earth King. After Judy leaves and and they're stuck in that house, they go across the way and talk to this other guy who's kind of nervously, you know, just looking at them, observing them. Toph says this phrase, she says, I can feel you shaking. Which is kind of the beginning of her developing this ability to, um, I forget what Iway calls it in The Legend of Korra. I think he calls it being like a truth seer mm. where you can feel the vibrations in a person's body to tell if they're telling the truth or not, or if they're lying. So we see that as an idea here, which again gets developed more later. And there's a really funny moment that happens with Azula and Toph later. Um, and then also when they're just killing time in their, in their house, right before they go to the party, Toph, as she's talking about upper city and big city living or big society living, <laughs> picks her nose and flicks a booger on the ceiling <laughs> and it oh. sticks there and they animate it. So you know that it's going to come back later and that yep. it's going to have like something's going to happen with this booger. And then <laughs> right on Sokka's forehead. Absolutely <laughs> disgusting, oh, but wow. so hilarious because it's the perfect amount of time right. before it then pays off. And I just, I about lost it when that happened. So good. He just got slimed. <laughs> I can't stop. <laughs> Season two, double the slime quota. Yeah, in such a creepy episode, this one, again, I know we just harp on balance, but this had some awesome humor in it. Totally. Absolutely. The the Sokka and Aang bowing to each other bit is amazing. The <laughs> Momo of the Momo dynasty, your Momoness. <laughs> like just some really good silly stuff. And I think in a in an episode as serious as this. You have to have those comedic moments to just break up the tension. Otherwise, it's almost too relentless. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I think back to the Siege of the North episodes from season one. Those two episodes back to back were just so relentless the whole time that I just remember being on the edge of my seat thinking, oh, my God, 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 for both of those episodes, like the entirety of the time. So, yeah, I think... They're using comedy in a way that, again, feels true to character, much like mm -hmm. the fighting styles and the choreography, like we talked about in the drill, but in a way that doesn't take away from the story like it did sometimes in season one, where they weren't necessarily um, ironing out all the kinks between the back and forth there. The balance mm -hmm. wasn't as smooth. You know, now it is very, very smooth and is just, yeah, it's I I'm Max, I'm going to steal your thunder. This is my favorite episode until the next episode. Sort of a moment, like everything, everything again is just so crazy good that it's yeah, it's it's hard, it's hard to stop watching these episodes, right? You know, mm -hmm. we got to do the prep for the show, but I just want to keep I just want to keep watching Avatar: The Last Airbender, and you know, I don't I don't know what it probably won't be that long before. I start watching it again after we're done with with at least these first three seasons. Maybe before we start Legend of Korra, I'll go back and rewatch this whole series again. Because oh, you, you can probably you could probably do it in like <laughs> Let's a, do a, a detox watch. Yeah, <laughs> detox. Yeah, absolutely. Less critically, just more. You know. And again, everything is is amazing in comparison to that horrible movie that you made me watch at the end. There of is season no one, movie. So. There is no yeah. movie in Bossing Say. There, there is no M Night Shyamalan in Bossing Say. Oh. 
is my brain broken because everything now is is D and D rules because I'm looking at this episode as like <laughs> <laughs> they they go up they try to convince the guard to get into the party it's like do a stealth check for me or do like a persuasion check right oh you failed that one oh there's somebody coming up to you Katara rolls really well on deception. Long Fang rolls really well on insight. It's like, oh God, stop. <laughs> hey, it is it is very RPG. And mm-hmm. I will say this as a justification of your thinking here, Max. In a compelling dungeon scenario of Dungeons and Dragons, everything works super smoothly and the scenarios kind of present themselves naturally and organically in a way that is of service to your your group's, you know, Enjoyment, journey, yeah. your story. Yeah. Just like here. Like, mm-hmm. and that's what Dungeons and Dragons is a masterpiece of a game. This is a masterpiece of a show, right? It's it, it is what you make of it, right? Life is going to happen. <laughs> you just got to live it. Hey, nice. Beautiful. I guess that just comes down to what makes a story interesting. It's like there are consequences. Things right. go well and things fail. Absolutely. Yep. I'm saying that with so much insight, and that's probably like 101 right in. <laughs> conflict. Right, like everyone, a story needs conflict is what I guess I'm distilling, which is number one. Screenwriting 101. Oh, boy. Mm, speaking of conflict, we're going to really get into that in these next couple of episodes. Smooth segue, Max. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we were about to have our first special guest ever <gasps> on the so podcast. Exciting. So no no surprise we're just we're just saying that. Well, I can cut that out. But now I think it's good to prep. Yeah. I mean, let people know. They're so excited. used to just hearing our three voices. I mean, yeah, there's going to be some diversity of pitch. Let's just call that <laughs> out right now. Um and things are about to get low, friends. About about to get low. <laughs> I don't know if we want to make it a recurring thing where we do the speed run of things that we just didn't get to talk about because each of these episodes are going to be so yep i mean jam-packed gonna, yeah. yeah and there's so much good content like just bear was in this and dude oh that's an amazing God. part so good mm-hmm. i was blown away at the the dailies rock gloves and their their multiple uses right and you see them evolve they're not just handcuffs but they use them to like fling out and they capture katara and uh, toff that way and then later they even use them as like bullets where they right. like kind of do the the fist whatever and they just shoot the fingertip portions of those those gloves off and it's like they're shooting bullets at you it's it's awesome what a sweet weapon idea i think my only other note was when iroh and zuko are doing a really good job in the tea shop the <laughs> boss comes up and he's like you guys are doing great i'm gonna start paying you more and that just reminded me that this is a fantasy show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. That makes me so sad. Oh, Where you're recognized like, for your quality of work? What is that? Right. And then huh. compensated for it. I didn't know they worked on commission in tea shops. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we watch this show, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> to escape. escape. <laughs> Speaking of that, if there are any um, ads, uh, any companies listening out there that would like to <laughs> sponsor, your boy could Cause, use a little extra cause, pocket change. Because we're, we're working really hard and we deserve a raise. Mm-hmm. 
a, a raise from our current salary of zero dollars and zero cents to do this podcast to you know <laughs> to fifty cents. Please write a review. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The two reviews on Apple Podcasts have been glowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh God, that reminds me. <laughs> they may have been written by two thirds of the of the host crew. Okay, so at the end of the drill episode, we saw. Um, Sokka come up with a, a large variety of names and new names for Team Avatar. Okay. In every intro that we've done up, up to this point, so 17 episodes plus the season one bonus episode, it's worth, I say, and together we're our own sort of Team Avatar. Are we going to give ourselves a new nickname right now that I will then oh. officially use? Until we get sick of it or come up with a new nickname. You know what? Can I just look at our, our OG podcast name to see if we have that file? Oh, there you go. Oh, God, we do. Be any good? Oh, well, maybe we deleted it. Nope, we didn't. I have it. <laughs> You're talking about the pre meeting, it's, right? It's like the vision podcast visions. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. We have names. Hey, the last edit was on August 18th of 2020. Holy buckets. Wow. We've been doing this for quite a long time. We have been. Jeez. Oh, I don't see the potential names. Yeah, we didn't have a name. Here they are. <laughs> oh. The Avatar State. Oh, no, those are already taken. Okay, what were the R's that we had? Potty. Potty Potty Cast Man. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I still stand by that one. Uh, I still stand by that one. Oh, um. man. And together, we're our own sort of Potty Potty Cast Man. <laughs> potty Potty Cast Man. Oh, my gosh. Well, we'll can you give us a... Um, your best one, and we'll... we'll no, approve. I don't have one. <laughs> no. See, I'm not the idea guy. You guys are the idea uh, guys. Oh, we need a Sokka. We need a Sokka. Mm. All right. What's three grown men doing a podcast on Avatar? What would we call ourselves? <laughs> Lame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um... Well, if we're so lame, I guess you're going to miss the panty raid. Oh, God. Full circle to SpongeBob. Oh, man. And we don't have to come up with a new name now. We can uh, we can table that and, and unveil the new name maybe next episode. All I got is the microphonies, but that sounds mean. Interesting. The microphonies. <laughs> Emphasis on the phonies. And together, we're our own microphonies. I... I like Team Avatar. It's just the it's the classic. The, oh, it's mm-hmm. the classic. It's classic. I mean, well, we could do like the boomerang, but I, I think I like Team Avatar. And that's what we shall be forevermore. <laughs> and that's gonna do it for this episode. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion so far, as we certainly have. We'll be back next week as we continue our conversations about the second season of Avatar: The Last Airbender. We're now live on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for at previous.pod on Facebook and at previous underscore pod on Twitter. Give us a like or a follow and interact with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the series as we keep the dialogue going. A big thanks to my co-hosts, Evan and Max, for being a part of the podcast. We'll see you soon.
Yip Yip. 